Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Word Wednesday. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning uh, to share from God's Word. I want to start by sharing a story about a guy named Alfred Noble. You guys know Alfred Noble. He was born in Stockholm in 1833. He spent his entire life, his entire career, working as an inventor, a philanthropist, a chemist, a businessman, inventor. And during his lifetime, he actually patented over 355 different patents. Uh, one of those being extremely uh, famous and dangerous is dynamite. You guys know what dynamite is. He had such an impact that even a synthetic element was named after him. In, in 1888, Dr. Nobel's brother, Ludwig, died while he was visiting Keynes. And a French newspaper mistakenly published Dr. Nobel, Nobel's obituary instead. The obituary condemned Dr. Noble for his inventions of military explosives by stating that Dr. Alfred Noble, who had become rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Dr. Noble never had a wife or children, and he was actually quite disappointed by reading this and, and how his life was remembered. So on November 27, 1895, Dr. Noble signed his last will, his last testament, his last statement, and he set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes to be awarded annually without distinction of nationality. After taxes, Dr. Noble's allocation, he allocated 94% of his assets, roughly $472 million, for the use and the purpose of the Nobel Prizes. While these prizes are awarded to areas such as science, chemistry, medical science, and literature, the fifth prize, you all know, is given to a person in society that seeks the establishment of peace. Each year, the Nobel Prize is awarded to that person or that society that uh, who seeks peace for the purpose of a world that desires peace. The idea of peace is prominent in the Bible. The peace mentioned in the Bible is not the same peace that we seek here on earth. Peace, as we see it here on earth, often is just the absence of conflict for many of us. Think about, the, about this. How many peace treaties have ever been kept? The answer, none of them. None of the peace treaties have ever been kept. Peace, as some put it, is that glorious brief moment in history when everybody stops to reload. The entire world is filled with destruction. It's filled with decay. It's filled with death. The motto of the United Nations is even to have succeeding generations free from the scourge of war. Nations internationally have sustained significant conflicts, outbreaks in violence, and even war. Peace? There is no peace. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? Is it in a political leader? Is it in your nation? Is it in your state? Is your trust in your own heart? The Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things. So where is your peace? The Nobel Peace Prize, it is the Nobel Peace Prize the epitome of true peace? I would contend that it's not. We're going to look at the Beatitudes of Christ and, and his message to his followers. Um, the multitudes flock to Jesus when he's here in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. So Jesus goes up on a mountainside. He sits down, uh, thus being called the Sermon on the Mount. And we see him in Matthew chapters 5 and 7, Jesus pointing at people's hearts, attacking people's hearts in a kind and gracious way. 
Jesus had instructed them in view of his announcements of the coming kingdom in chapter 4 and verse 17. And the natural tendency and question of the heart of every Jew would have been, am I eligible for Messiah's kingdom? Am I righteous enough to qualify for entrance? As we know, the religious leaders were hypocritical. They were focused on their outward appearance, while inside they were as lifeless as the Dallas Cowboys. So every Jew listening to Jesus would have been focused on their outward actions, not their inward thoughts, not their inward hearts. Proverbs 21 and verse 2 states that every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So these followers of Jesus, they enjoyed his teaching, but did they truly allow Jesus' teaching to penetrate their hearts? Were they truly concerned with their own hearts? Today, where you guys sit, are you concerned with your heart? So we come to a passage today where Jesus says that we are blessed when we are peacemakers, that we are blessed when we're persecuted, that we are blessed when we are reviled, and that we should actually rejoice and be glad. Join with me in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 6 and going through verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger for blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So today, we're going to see three characteristics of a true follower of Christ that you must understand to truly grasp being blessed by the Lord. So let's take a second and talk about an important truth. When Jesus came into the world, he exposed the evil of the world just by simply being righteous. And people hated him for being righteous. So let me ask you this. In your workplace, at school, in your home, with your friends, you name the place. When you seek to live righteously, what happens? When you seek to live righteously, what happens? When you seek to put away all the hypocrisy, all the dishonesty, all the lying, all of the pride, and you put on love, you put on joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What happens? I'll tell you what happened to Jesus. When Jesus came, hypocrisy was exposed. Dishonesty was exposed. Lying was exposed. Pride was exposed. Jesus, by being on the scene, illuminated the hearts and the dark corners of man's heart and exposed their evil deeds. Tell me. If a Christian seeks to live like Jesus Christ, will you be persecuted? Yet Jesus tells us that we're blessed. Jesus tells us to rejoice when this happens. Why? Because persecutions show that you're in good company with the history of mankind. Think of Noah. Do you think that he was persecuted for doing the right thing that Jesus or, or the Lord asked him to do? Think about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had, uh, 
when he, when he was grown, he chose rather to be mistreated by the people, um, to, be, to be chosen to be uh, mistreated, than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Think of Elijah, threatened by Jezebel, the wicked queen, after his confrontation uh, uh, with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he ran for his life. Think about John the Baptist when he's confronting the sin of King Herod for taking his brother's wife, and eventually he was killed for calling out King Herod's sin. So what type of personal peace and persecution are you pursuing? A worldly peace defined by the Nobel Peace Prize or a true peace that comes from Almighty God? Tell me, if you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will you practice peace? Tell me, if you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will you persist in persecution? Tell me, if you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will you pursue the true person? So we come to our first point. A true follower of Jesus Christ practices true peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The, the Beatitudes call people not just to be peaceful persons, but to be peacemakers, to be actively, to pursue it, to practice peace among antagonistic persons. The Nobel Peace Prize is great. I'm all for it. I think it's helpful, but it's not the epitome of peace. Christ is. Christ is true peace. Where Christ is, there is true peace. Our world is practicing peace for all the wrong reasons. Christ is our true peace. A true follower of Christ must practice true peace. We must pursue peace. You know why? Because a true follower of Christ has experienced this true peace between themselves and God. And that, and that God made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ on, on the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A true follower of Christ practices peacemaking by being an active witness of the gospel. And, and being an active evangelist of the gospel, and by being an active participant in pursuing human reconciliation. Romans 8 says this, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Our ministry of reconciliation goes beyond the Nobel Peace Prize. But it, it goes towards the sinner's heart. Separated from the Lord, we are in need of repentance. Ken Sandy writes, When someone mistreats or opposes us, our instinctive reaction is to justify ourselves and do everything we can to get our way. The selfish attitude usually leads to impulsive decisions that only make matters worse. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides the way out of this downward spiral. When we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, our binding self-absorption can be replaced with the liberating desire to draw attention to the goodness and the power of God. As Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-2 through two teaches, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Focusing on God is the key element to resolve conflict constructively. When we remember his mercy, we remember uh, his strength, we invariably see things more clearly and respond to conflict more wisely. And we can find better solutions to our problems when we seek him. 
Ken Sandy goes on to state that there are three types of people when it comes to conflict and peace. There's three types of people. Number one, peace fakers. These are people who use escape responses and make everything look good when they're not. Peace fakers. Peace breakers. These are people who use attack responses. They are more willing to sacrifice true peace and unity to get what they want to justify themselves. Peace fakers, peace breakers. And then the third one, peacemakers. These are people who work long and hard to achieve true justice and genuine harmony with other people. Which are you? Are you a peace faker? Are you a peace breaker? Are you truly a peacemaker? A benefit of a uh, Christ-centered approach to peacemaking um, and, and to conflict resolution is that it makes you less dependent upon the results. When you're pursuing Christ, in a conflict, it makes you less dependent upon the results. Even if others refuse to respond positively to your efforts to make peace, you can find comfort and knowledge that God is pleased with your obedience, pursuing peace. Our second point, a true follower of Christ will persist in per true persecution. A true follower of Christ will persist in true persecution. Verses 10 through 12, blessed are those who are, per who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What we see in these verses grammatically is actually very important, and I bet you missed it because I did the first time I read it. I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to emphasize the grammatical differences of my voice. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I hope you saw it. I hope you heard it. Jesus switches from the third person in verse 10 to the second person in verses 11 through 12. Why is this significant? The change shifts the focus of persecution from something that is being thought of in a general way to something that will affect Christ's followers personally. Do we normally have this, pers this perspective when it comes to persecution? I mean, sure, work is hard sometimes. People are difficult sometimes. But are you truly being persecuted for the sake of Christ? or for some other reason that doesn't even compare. When Jesus arrives on the scene, as you remember, he exposed the evil in the world by simply pursuing righteousness, by pursuing goodness, and the world hated him for it. The persecution that Jesus is talking about here is someone who becomes like Christ, putting on his righteousness, and therefore being hated for his sake. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he charges a believer to stand firm. Talk, calls him to put on the full armor of God. He tells us to keep alert. Paul tells us in verse 18 that the true believer should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication that by opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. When I was beginning my sophomore year in high school, I had just come back from a trip in North Carolina where me and several of my uh, teenage friends had gone to a conference. We heard the Word of God preached, we sang great songs, 
and I was absolutely on fire for the Lord. Part of me did not want to come back to reality because I was afraid uh, of what I was getting back into. Several of my friends um, did not care about spiritual things. Several of my teammates that were seeking to do things that were contrary to God's word. I can remember distinctly coming back from this trip, going to my best friend's house, playing the Xbox, and as we were hanging out, he made this comment. Why are you being so weird and spiritual? And I remember in that moment being so discouraged and disappointed with how my best friend was responding. But you know what the difference was? I didn't have any close friends who were truly pursuing the Lord. All of my friends were pursuing the world, not the Lord. They were pursuing um, physical things, not eternal things. So I chose the route of least resistance. I gave up almost at that exact moment, and I chose the path of least resistance. And I chose not to be persecuted for my faith in Christ. I chose the easy path. I chose the path of least resistance. And it wasn't until my sophomore year in college where I really decided I was going to pursue the Lord. And I found friends who wanted to pursue the Lord with me. And, and it gave me lots of opportunities to share the gospel and to work with people who made fun of me for my values and my beliefs. But their desire was to fulfill their worldly lust-filled desires, and my desire was to pursue the Lord. A true follower of Christ is pursuing, a true follower of Christ is pursuing Christ. They will persist in persecution. Point number three. A true follower of Christ pursues the true person. Who is this true person that you speak of? It's Jesus. Persecution is a common experience for Christians. Think about it. What's happening in China right now? North Korea? Other places in the world that are against Christianity? What about world history? What about world history that teaches us about how Christians are persecuted? Many were put to death. Many had the chance to even renounce their faith. Many were exiled from their homes. Many were put in chains. Many were put in labor camps. Many were treated worse than stray dogs. Some were burned at the stake. I hope you're getting the picture. A true follower of Christ pursues the true person. Who is this true person? The true person is Jesus Christ. We are called to take Christ at his word. He says that you are blessed, that you are blessed when you are persecuted, that you are blessed when you are reviled, that we ought to rejoice and be glad, realizing that our reward is in heaven and is not in this world. This world, this world disappoints, remember? Wars, death, disease, decay, unrest, social issues, political issues. Why would our hope be in a world that doesn't even have it together and has never had it in the history of humanity? Jesus is calling us to something higher, something more vast, something more attractive. He calls us to pursue him. Do we have a childlike faith in Christ when he says that we are blessed in all these things? I want to tell you a story about a kid named Billy. Uh, as you're probably aware, Somalia is one of the most dangerous places in the world. Decade after decade, there's conflict that arises that completely guts the country and its infrastructure. In many cases, it isn't a matter of when you face a terrorist attack, but when you will face a terrorist attack. Billy was a Somalian. He was born into a religious family. His father was a religious leader. 
He had memorized the entire Quran. As Billy got older, um, out of curiosity, he began reading the Bible alongside with a copy of the Quran. After a couple of years of study, Billy converted to Christianity. Alongside his understanding of God's word, Billy was able to learn a lot from a Christian radio station that was broadcast over the radio waves, and it was his first time he'd actually heard somebody um, other than himself, who was a Somalian, who was also a Christian over the radio waves. After he confessed his new faith to his family, his family threatened him. And it was just the beginning of understanding what the Apostle Paul wrote in, in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Several years after his conversion, Billy met his first Christian Somalian. Together they gathered with 14 other believers and started an underground church in Somalia. A year later, um, some terrorists discovered the growing Christian community and began their deadly persecution. The doctor who attended the church was shot to death. An educator who was, who was a part of the group was kidnapped and executed. A man and his wife were executed together in their bedroom. Yet another was pulled off, pulled off of the bus in plain daylight and was executed. In all, 12 of the 14 members of this church were executed. Billy has escaped many attempts on his life by moving around uh, to a different country. And from that base, he continues his persistence in persecution, his pursuit of Christ, and his proclamation of peace as he continues his work planning and nurturing churches in Somalia. There are no longer just 14 Christians in Somalia, rather a, a very large and vast growing church within Somalia because how the Lord is using Billy to persist in persecution. As we pursue a proper understanding of Christ's likeness, peace, persecution, our aim is Christ. And, and this is a process called sanctification. As one commentator states, the full ripening, for the full ripening to come, it must be nurtured. It takes time for fruit to mature. If you've ever tried to grow fruit, you know that. It takes time for fruit uh, to, to mature seems like some people are, are looking for a shortcut when it comes to sanctification. We live in an age now where we want instant gratification. We want to be sanctified immediately. We want five easy lessons on how to pursue Christ and to bear fruit. But there is no substitute for the classic, traditional method of growth in the Holy Spirit. By beholding the glory of Christ, we shall be transformed into the same image. How this is done and how, how we become like Christ by beholding his glory will become clear. And we will find rest for our souls. Our minds are filled with all kinds of troubles, all kinds of fears, all kinds of dangers, cares, distresses. And we have ungoverned passions and lusts. By these, our thoughts are filled with chaos, darkness, and confusion. But where the soul is fixed on the glory of Christ then the mind finds rest and peace. Where the soul is fixed on the glory of Christ, then the mind finds rest and peace. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, if you want to know him, Jesus offers eternal salvation to those who believe in him by faith. By repenting of your sinfulness, pursuing the Savior, and giving complete control of your life over to Christ. 
to all of you, don't leave today until you are reconciled with Christ. Tell me, if you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will you practice peace? If you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will you persist in persecution? If you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will you pursue the true person? Jesus tells us that our reward is in heaven. I can remember back in high school playing football, uh, going to practice to, to play the big game on Friday nights. I absolutely hated practice, but I loved the big game on Friday nights. And we worked extremely hard to make it to the state championship. It was grueling. It was tough. I was tired. It was hard. Some days I hated practice. But at the end of the day, when you go through all that difficult challenge, you keep your eyes focused on the prize. It's all worth it in the end. This is what Jesus is talking about. He calls us to keep our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This life will have trials, it will have struggles, it will have chaos, it will have death, decay, destruction, you name it. But Christ is eternal. His word is eternal. We have the opportunity right now to refocus our hearts, to refocus our minds on that reward. A reward that no earthly thing can compare. That reward is what Jesus is talking about. And it's yours if you persist in persecution, if you pursue peace, and if you pursue the Savior. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come here today um, and to preach from your word. Father, I just pray that you would help us in our weakness. Father, we pray that you would empower us in our weakness to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Help us to pursue the true person that is Jesus Christ, realizing that our reward is in heaven and not on this earth. Father, I just pray that no one would leave here today not being reconciled with Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.